Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. We are on episode 10 and we have officially 300 downloads, so I think that deserves a bit of a celebration. This week we're discussing two games. We are discussing two Bethesda titles. So we've got Fallout from 2008, which is position 29 in the Bucketlist Gamers magazine, and Oblivion, the 2007 traditional RPG, for, which is number 73. So we might as well start with Oblivion, seeing as it's the oldest. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm Jay, by the way. I got so oh, yeah. excited there and, and giddy He's about here. the numbers. He's here as well. <laughs> <laughs> forgot to- Thought you were just going to take this one on your own. I was just going to sit back. No, that's no, fine. That's fine. By me. Uh, but yeah, so uh, we'll start on start on Oblivion. Makes more sense. So yeah, where do you start on Oblivion? It being such a sizable game, I don't know. It I, I it wasn't a game that I was into when I first got my Xbox, and I was in a phase of my life when I was like, hell, people who play Oblivion, they're nerds. I'm not touching that with a barge pole. And then I went into Game Station, I think it was, and it was in like two for 20, and I'd picked one other game, and I couldn't find anything else, so I thought, oh, I'll give it a go, and then got absolutely obsessed with it, and it took over my life for a good good few weeks, and I just couldn't put it down, and I became one of those people that I was deriding for so many years. Yeah, it is It is amusing. It's like the the whole prison thing, where you have like a hierarchy in prison, depending on what it is you've done. We have nerds who despise nerds. It's great. <laughs> depending on what you like, you're a derided nerd by other nerds. Um, but yeah, so Oblivion's sort of like your traditional RPG, your swords and shields, and it's, it's um, Westeros, but by Bethesda. <laughs> and it's just it's so well done like straight away as soon as you start playing it well the the first couple of minutes are a bit murky aren't they you, you're locked away in a prison your character starts locked away in a prison and you have to help the emperor is it is he an emperor it is voiced by patrick stewart no less they got big name hitters in for this one uh, yeah for about five lines before he <laughs> yeah. gets gets bumped off and then you have to go about your way but yeah you start off in a prison and then end up in a sewer and it all looks a bit murky and i was I must admit, when I was playing it, I was like, everyone's told me this game looks stunning, and so far it's just been grim. And then there's a bit, isn't there, where you you walk into out of a tunnel and it just opens up into this glorious piece of scenery with the trees in the background and the grass and a big shimmering lake and the cliffs to one side and the mountains. And as soon as that happened, I was like, yeah, okay, wow. This does look amazing. And at the time on Xbox 360, you sort of had games that looked that good but they tended to be a lot smaller. Oblivion looks amazing and is absolutely gigantic. I said it about Mario 64 last week, that when you got to that stage, the jump wasn't just that it looked amazing, but it was also that it looked amazing and they could do that much all in one cartridge. This was a similar thing. You were used to brilliant-looking games that only had a couple of, like, four or five, six, seven hours gameplay. This looks amazing, and you could play it for a month and still have bits that you haven't even walked through yet. Yeah, and usually in games at the time, if if the maps were big, they were segregated parts of a map. Usually you had to like open a door, watch a loading screen, and then you got into the next bit of the map. Whereas Oblivion, aside from the odd bit of frame rate lag and the odd loading screen where you quick travel, you don't get much. It is literally worlds at your feet and you just go and you can walk for hours in one particular direction and then get smacked by a troll 
and skid halfway back across the map because it's still a Bethesda game, so it's still a little bit glitchy, and then lose all your progress and have to revert back to your previous save. <laughs> I think there's the odd place, isn't there? There's a certain buildings where you enter them and you'll get a, a short load, a shortish loading screen, and then going through Oblivion Gates, I'm pretty sure, because it, it literally yeah. loads in a whole new world, doesn't it, for you to, to go into. But yeah, there's a lot of the map that you could walk from point A to point B and it'd take you a good half an hour if you really wanted to with no loading times whatsoever. Like Eddie says, you'll probably get battered by something along the way, a troll or, a, I don't know, what the other mountain lions or something. There's some sort of cat in there that chases you around and or thugs or there's always something waiting, wisps that just sneak up on you and start attacking you and but yeah, I think as as well, going into dungeons sometimes triggers loading screens. But yeah. in comparison to what we were used to prior to that, where, like you say, every time you went to a new area of the map, you got a loading screen. Or you look at Resident Evil, for an example, and they mask the loading screens with the door opening animation. It's a lot less in this game. And it, it's almost quite intrusive when it happens, because you're that used to it not happening. You suddenly get a loading screen that you have to sit and watch, and it, it snaps you out of it a bit. But they gave tips and things didn't they and was it just in Skyrim where you could rotate an object and look at it or did they do that in Oblivion as well I can't remember now I think it was just Skyrim but yeah on the loading screens they did tend to give you hints and tips about um, you know even if it was just nice to know stuff like a bit of background history on certain races without having to sit there looking through the in-game glossary um, they gave you nice little tidbits um, but yeah it, it's a bit it was a phenomenally huge game. Even by modern standards, it's it's a chunky boy. I think that's where the glitches come from, isn't it? You're never going to get a game of that size where everything works perfectly. I think we said a couple of weeks ago when we were discussing one of the bugs in Skyrim, you're, if you're that ambitious, something's always going to go wrong. There's that many competing bits of code that eventually one of them is going to break one of the other bits. And it might be that I'm sure there's probably glitches in Oblivion that only one person in the world has seen because it's just that specific culmination of all different things happening at once that causes it. And it's stuff that you just can't account for. They could have playtested it for 10 years and there'd still be glitches that people hadn't discovered. And like I said on the other one, unless it's a complete game breaker, you sort of put up with it. Some of them are frustrating. So if something kills you when it shouldn't have done and you have to redo a load of progress, it's annoying. But a lot of them are just comical. So like you say... I've I've seen trolls shooting up into the air when you hit them with an arrow and villagers getting stuck in an endless loop and people sinking through floors. And they're all there, those kind of glitches. But yeah, a lot of the time it's just quite funny and, and you just get you see it and you just get on with it and it's part and parcel of the environment. The one thing I will say that they didn't put quite as much effort into, and that was the NPCs. So they do have a bit of a classic bioware face about them where they just stare goggle-eyed at you while you just wander through the shop and pinch all the knickknacks um and the voice acting as well they hired it's like they hired about four people to do different accents for different people so you can often be stood in a shop talking to an npc that you're trying to buy something off while in the background Two NPCs, also voiced by the person you're talking to, are talking about how much they enjoy shopping in the shop that's owned by themselves, essentially. It's just, yeah. So it does take you out of it a little bit from that side. But 
like I say, Patrick Stewart. So, I mean, he is in it for all of five minutes at the beginning, but he does come back at the end. Spoilers does, uh, told Jean-Luc Picard. Um, but, uh, yeah, it seems like they do that. They, Bethesda as a company, they tend to hire, like, big-name actors and put them in and put them in the game for about five minutes, and then have them go to the green room for the rest of the game, and then drop back in towards the end, just so they can say that they were end to end in the game, probably uh, which will be revisited. <laughs> you probably paying by line, so it's like right, you do five lines here and five lines there, and then yeah, as long as we space them out, we can say this person is integral to the game. But the, one of the weirdest. It's not a glitch, I suppose. You wouldn't class it as a glitch. I don't know what you'd class it as because it's not an Easter egg either. But one of the best things that I've I've found about Oblivion is um, there's a few lines where people are recording a line and then partway through the line say, oh, I've messed that up, can I re-record it? Then repeat the line. And then in the game, they've just left the whole thing in. I heard that thieves broke into the Arcane University, the Imperial Legion compound and the temple all on the same night. Wait a minute, let me do that one again. I heard the thieves broke into the Arcane University, the Imperial Legion compound, and the temple all on the same night. So you hear them do the start of the line, then you hear them actually say, oh, I've messed that up, can I restart it? And then restart the line again. And it's like, how how do you get that level of sloppiness? Like, who was in charge of doing those audio files and didn't just trim the beginning bit off of it? It just beggars belief, but I, that one always makes me laugh when I find it. I can't remember exactly what, what character it is now. I know it's a female character. Um, I think she's in one of the shops or something. But yeah, when when that comes up, I always have a little chuckle to myself. And I'm like, how could this even have happened? But some people won't even listen to it because you can skip dialogue, can't you? And a lot of the times you're listening to that much inane dialogue that you just skim read it and then hammer through it. So a lot of people probably won't have heard it because it's a massive line. And when you read it, you can probably skip by it quite quickly. But yeah, I love that. That's... That's just the level you're dealing with. And if I remember rightly, it was part of a quest as well. It's not like it's just some random ancillary bit of dialogue in the background. You literally have to go up to the woman to speak to her as part of the quest line. And she, yeah, she starts talking and then goes, whoops, did that wrong. Best redo it. I don't think it's a one-off either. I think there's three or four um, examples of it in the game. And it must have just been the sheer amount of dialogue they've got in there that somebody dropped the ball and missed it but again to our point last week how's that got through playtesting and no one's gone you do know that this woman literally breaks character and says she's fluffed her lines and then carries on again yes but yeah that's it's it's charm isn't it it's part of the charm of it and it would be boring if it wasn't in there i think and and i think this is kind of where bethesda start to get that reputation of Oh, it's a Bethesda game. Oh, it's going to have this glitch in it. Or oh, I hope they have this other little quirky thing in it that they always seem to do. Because, I mean, they're, they're doing a game for this year called Starfield. And a lot of people have been a little bit concerned about it because all they've said is that the engine that they've recently done, like Fallout 4 and Fallout 76 on, they're just going to judge that up a bit. That They're going to, like technically upgrade it and make a new game out of it for the PS5 and the Xbox. And everyone's just sort of gone, really? When everyone else is sort of building new platforms and new um, engines to run things off, you're just rehashing the same old shite, are you, Bethesda? Brilliant. Can't wait to see how glitchy this is. 
Uh, but you know we'll still buy it. Yeah. 100%. But yeah, going back to Oblivion, it's one of those games that I remember playing a lot of, and I remember next to none of it, in terms of like what the missions were and what you actually had to do. I remember a couple of the side ones. I remember, I think my favourite one was the arena one. There's a super mutant, isn't there? It's like the arena champion, and you're brought in to become the new arena champion, and you fight your way through a few, and then I think you have the option to kill him or or not, but he wants you to kill him because he's sick of being this arena champion that, that just gets no time to himself. And then if I think if you do him in, you get like a ward, don't you, that follows you round, but he's absolutely useless. And I left him in an oblivion gate. I remember that. So uh, I never saw him again. So I don't really know what happened to him or if he had any purpose, but I didn't put him to much good use. But I remember that one and that one being really enjoyable. And there's a few others that stick in the mind. But the one thing I really remember about Oblivion is that the Oblivion gates were the worst bit of it, at least in my opinion. Yeah, so the the gimmick they introduced in this one, which, you know, the, the, the unique selling point for Oblivion was the Oblivion gates, where it, it's kind of harking back to the Link to the Past Dark World thing where you could shift between two... Um, two different sections of reality sort of thing. So, yeah, the Oblivion Gates where you went through and just got mobbed by le- enemies that were so over-leveled. <laughs> and you just, I just ended up sprinting between sections, to be honest with you, within an Oblivion Gate, just like... <laughs> just being chased by these things that would just, would just kill me with a firebolt, so just running away. So my enjoyment of it was basically just the real... The reality side of it, rather than nipping into the Oblivion Gates, which was supposed supposed to be a key part of the game, they were just boring. Like all of them were the same. It was there's a big tower that you have to climb up and find the orb at the top of it that closes the gate, and then they gradually get bigger, don't they? So there might be two towers that you have to go into one to unlock the other, and there just didn't seem to be any progression in them. It was always the same enemies that were coming after you. It was always the same layouts inside the towers. You had to find a switch to open a door, to go a bit higher, to find a switch to open a door. And it just kept looping round, and then you'd get out of it. And then all the interesting stuff was in the real world. So all the interesting people, the quests, the locations were all in the real world. So yeah, the fact that the Oblivion Gates were meant to be the big selling point, for me, I just avoided them as much as I could. I didn't do a lot of the main quest for, for ages, because I was much more interested in speaking to... I don't know, somebody who's lost the dog or whatever it is when you have to go and look look for them or something like that. There's All the other characters are far more interesting, and especially when you can do the side missions to learn new things, so like enchanting pieces of jewellery, powering up your spells and all that kind of thing, didn't come from the main quest line, which is sort of refreshing, I suppose, because usually those kind of things are tied to the main quest line, aren't they? But in Oblivion, you get a lot of benefit out of doing side missions. It's not just the XP farming. There are actually useful things to pick up in them, which I which I liked. Yeah, um, I I distinctly remember the the only thing I remember about the Oblivion Gates is that it was a lot of red. So the Earth was sort of like a, a dirty red color. The sky was always permanently red, and then there were just odd brown buildings everywhere, and odd brown sort of almost bone like structures sticking out the ground. It was like. This isn't really very imaginative when I've just been skipping through a forest and it's been I've seen the sun setting in the distance and the sky has actually changed colour from brilliant blue to like a burnt orange and now I'm just reds and browns. Great. 
it was quite easy to get lost in them as well from what i remember they were they weren't very clear on where you had to go and there wasn't much in there either it was usually there's a tower you need to get to it but how you actually got to it you sometimes wasn't particularly clear and there was big lava pools and stuff and i remember at one point thinking well am i meant to like just run through this lava pool to get to the other side because i literally can't figure out another way to do it and I, obviously i died as soon as i tried that and it turns out there was like this tiny little bridge that you could skirt round on on the edge or something like that and i just hadn't spotted it and also there there was a lot of like I don't know what enemy they're meant to be. Like these things that just explode whenever you get near them. And when you're running away from things, throwing fireballs at you and you're not really looking where you're going, it was very easy to just walk near one and get blown to bits. So yeah, I spent as little time as I could in Oblivion Gates. It was sort of in and out and done because there is far more interesting things to do. One of the ones that does actually stick in my head is the there's a mission where you can become a vampire and there's a, is it a king or something like that who's been infected and it's all very secretive and you're trying to figure out what's going on and then you eventually find him and he explains that he's a vampire and you can either choose to, I assume, fight him or be turned. And I think this might be what stopped me playing Oblivion because I chose to be turned because I knew that you could cure yourself or I was aware that you could cure yourself if it became a problem. But you can't if all the Oblivion gates are closed because you need blood grass and the only place it grows is in Oblivion. Uh... And I'd closed all the Oblivion gates. So I turned into a vampire and then couldn't ever turn back. So it made things incredibly difficult because I couldn't go out in sunlight. So I just used to have to skulk about until the sun went down and then I could do stuff during the night. But then a lot of quest lines are closed off a bit during the night because the people you need to speak to are in bed. So it made it very difficult for me. And I don't know if, I think later in the game, maybe you could open another Oblivion portal. So I think right towards the end, you open one last one. But just getting to that was incredibly difficult because I couldn't go out in sunlight. And I think that's when I eventually tapered off and stopped playing. Yeah, I, I finished the main game and then went into the DLC, which is where the vampire thing is. So the entire vampire side quest is in part of a DLC. And mine was exactly the same got turned into a vampire and I, I think it's so that you can't go in or near water so if you touch mm. water it kills you and if you're out in sunlight it kills you and I re- distinctly remember my next quest <laughs> the quickest way for me to get there would have been to have just swum across but instead I then had to take this really long circuitous route all the way around it by which point the sun came up and killed me <laughs> so I was like ah oh, screw this I'm not playing this anymore that this I've I've got other stuff that needs playing and I was just doing it for the achievements so yeah I'm I'm not doing this no so a slight design flaw there in that it's something you can't cure and it's I I assumed oh somebody'll be selling it somewhere but they just don't literally the only way you can get it is to harvest it for yourself and I had loads at one point, and I must have sold it all because I thought I'm never going to need this. But unless I think there is a buyback mechanic, isn't there? But unless you know who you sold it to, you can't find it. And God knows who I sold it to because I checked a lot of the shops and I couldn't find anyone selling bloodgrass, so I just gave up. But up until that point, I did really enjoy it, and it's one that I've always meant to meant to go back to and try again because I don't think I did completely finish it because that happened and. I, I, I tend not to finish Bethesda games, if I'm honest. I'm more about the side quests than I am the main story, and I get a lot more enjoyment out of doing all the side quests. I always leave the main story till the end, uh, and this was definitely one of those occasions, so I would love to go back to it. But it's such a big undertaking 
like I've said before, unless you've got three or four hours to dedicate to it, there's not much point in turning it on. It's not a game where you do half an hour and then come back to it because you won't get anything done and you'll forget where you're going or what you're doing. So I always like to have a bit of time blocked out. And recently I just haven't had that time blocked out with everything else going on. Maybe one day I will and I'll actually pick a race other than Argonian because that is the only race I've ever picked in any Bethesda Elder Scrolls game because they can breathe underwater and I can't stand underwater levels so i always go with them just to make it slightly easier um i I think i think it's fair to say and i know we've said it pretty much every time we've reviewed one of the games on here it hasn't aged well graphically and i don't think bethesda games tend to age very well graphically i know they put a lot of emphasis on gameplay and story and character building and world building and stuff like that but yeah it, it it's not very pretty anymore, <laughs> really, when you compare it to what we've got now. And even stuff like Skyrim. I mean, how many versions of bloody Skyrim have we got? And none of them have advanced the graphics massively. And it's still, it is starting to slowly look like crap now. Yeah, you can get away with it in Fallout because it's meant to look like crap. Yeah. But in Skyrim, it's meant to be, well, Skyrim Elder Scrolls, it's meant to look beautiful. And I think because I experienced it at the time, when I see it, I still think it looks good. But as somebody coming into the franchise new and putting Oblivion in, you notice it was of his, of his time. And yeah, it's it's. I don't know. I don't know if the TV I played it on originally wasn't as crisp, so it blurred it a bit and it looked nicer. But yeah, on a on a brand new sort of ultra HD TV, yeah, it's a bit jagged around the edges and. Like Eddie said about a lot of the character models, not only do they sound very similar, a lot of them look very similar as well. They've not put an awful lot of effort. I mean, when you've got that many NPCs in it, you're going to get crossover. But there are like quite a lot that look just identical. Like You'll get attacked by soldiers and it will be literally 10 clones of the same soldier coming <laughs> yeah. after you. And it, it does this really jarring thing for me where if you're wanted, because it's got a... like criminal mechanic in it hasn't it so if you get caught pickpocketing someone or stealing from a shop or trying to lock pick into a building the guards will pursue you for it and you will get locked away and you have to pay to get out i think it is or can you can you break out um but there is like you can pay to avoid being put in prison can't you essentially like a bribe yeah but it's quite scary sometimes because you'll just be going about your business and you won't think you've been caught doing anything but you're actually wanted for something. And then all of a sudden a guard will come up behind you and it spins the camera around really fast and dramatic. And there's like a guard's face, like an inch from the screen. And it'll be like, stop. And when you're playing late at night and you're not expecting that, it is not a nice thing to happen. And and that got me a lot of times because I used to be, I was a bit of a, a shady character. So I was always going around trying to pick locks and steal stuff from shops and things rather than doing it the honest route. So I got that quite a lot. And ended up having to keep paying my bribes. Or you can fight them, you can pay, or you can go to jail, can't you? But I can't remember what happens when you're in jail. Do you just start, you just lose a load of time? Because it's all on a, a clock, isn't it? I think you lose a load of time. I know in uh, I'm not going to say what happens in Skyrim, but there's a, a different mechanic in Skyrim. But yeah, I think you just lose a load of time, potentially money as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you want to discuss the races and how they change it, depending on who you pick? Yeah, so... I've got a little list here out of um, okay. 
out of the retro gamer book. It's for Skyrim, so you'll have to tell me if these people don't exist in Oblivion because I can't remember from one game to the other. So we've got Altma, basically the High Elves. Yes, yeah, 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 they are. Uh, so they're they're sort of the magic using race, aren't they? They're a uh, little bit stuck up. I think they're better than everyone else because they're quite good at magic. Yeah. Uh, next, the Argonians, okay, the best race uh, because they can breathe underwater. Yes, they are the lizard men. Really good at lockpicking, and they're immune to disease. That was the other reason that I always pick them, because you can't get poisoned as well. Then you've got the Bosma, so the forest-dwelling elves. Yes, yep. So they're, they're good at archery. Mainly archery, I think, is their, their strong point. Uh, Breton, so they're magicians as well, but I don't know a lot about them, actually. I've not really used them or encountered them that much. I remember the the sort of high elves a lot more than I remember them. Dunma, which are the dark elves. Yeah. Again, don't know a lot about them. But all the elves tend to be magic based, don't they? Yeah. And then you get um, the awesomer, which are orcs, traditional Tolkien esque, burly warrior types. Um, you get the Imperials, which are your Cyrodiil um, version of. The Nazis, essentially, so they're all sort of blonde hair, blue-eyed, macho, macho men in sort of uniformed armour. Um, you also get the Nords, so traditional William Wallace Viking-y types. Um, and then you get the Karjit, which are cat people, essentially. No idea why they're the only two non-human, in inverted commas. Uh, so them and the Argonians, the only non-human races, essentially. Bit weird. Yeah, because the orcs are semi-human, aren't they? Humanoid, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, and then in Skyrim, the the list I've got here, there's the Red Guard. So I assume are they Skyrim only? I th- oh no no they are they are in there as well. Red Guards are in. Yes. So they're just warriors, aren't they? Basically, so like sword and shield types. Yeah, I think they transferred the races over, to be honest. Yeah, and I think the good thing about the races is that it changes how you play the game. So as an Argonian, you are not liked by most people, so you get a lot of abuse from people or you're not trusted by people. Whereas if you are um, a Nord, for example, you get a much easier time of it because a lot more people in the world will relate to you a bit more and you'll be naturally unlocked easier dialogue trees and that kind of thing. I've never played as a an orc, but I assume they don't have a good time of it either because they they tend to be people that you fight quite a lot, don't they? You go out and take on orc encampments and slay through them. So I've never actually done it, but I assume if you go to one of those encampments as an orc, you get an easier time of it, so it changes how you play the game. I, I would assume so, and the same with Dark Elves. Dark Elves don't have a particularly easy time of it because nobody really trusts them because they're sort of like a halfway house between an elf and an orc. They've got black, blackened skin, black hair, red eyes, which is just really creepy. Um, and the, similar with the Imperials, to be honest. So you get a lot of sort of support when you're in cities, but as you sort of get further out, the people are very distrustful of the Imperial race because obviously they are part of an empire so command and conquer and trudging around just taking over places kicking the locals out and saying we live here now so yeah it does sort of change your gameplay stance a little bit every time you play with a different race 
which is I know we'll get onto it, but they that dropped back a bit in Fallout, didn't it? You don't really get that in Fallout Three, like different interactions based on on your character. But then when they did New Vegas, they sort of reintroduced it with the factions, so you can build up your like faction levels, and then you get different reactions from people if you're more popular in one faction than another. So they almost skipped Fallout 3, I assume, because it was only two years later. Maybe they were developing it concurrently. But when you get to New Vegas, that element of it comes back in a bit and you do get different interactions based on how you build your character up, which is one of the things I loved about Oblivion, is that you could... I knew that as a, um Argonian, I was getting a different experience to one of my friends who was playing as, as a Nord. Um, and it was nice to sort of compare how easy things were for him compared to me in terms of dialogue trees. But then things were much easier for me when I had to go on a mission where you have to swim down a load of water-filled caves because I didn't have to worry where he had to either try and figure out how to keep breathing or enchant something to have underwater breathing and all that kind of thing. So it's definitely got multiple playthroughs in it if you've got the patience to keep going back to it and playing it again. Because every time you pick a new race, you get a different experience to an extent. Yeah, and it sort of gives you the... It's like an open-ended route into certain missions. So if you want to, and you are an Argonian, you can access certain mission hubs. So say if you're trying to sneak into a town or a fortification, as the Argonian, you can sort of swim underwater and try and open a grate and then swim in that way. Whereas if you're a, like a Nord, you've literally got to walk up to the front gate, battle axe in hand, hope that you pass the skill check. And if not, you're fighting your way through. Yeah, I forgot about the skill checks. There's quite a lot of skill checks on it, isn't there? Where unlike Mass Effect, because on Mass Effect, you either get the option to use the dialogue or not, depending on how you've changed your perception from um, like good or bad. In Oblivion, it is literally, you can use this bit of dialogue, but based on your skill, you've got like a 20% chance of it succeeding. And if it doesn't succeed, something bad's probably going to happen. So it gives you that risk reward of your stats give you an X percentage chance of success here. Do you want to go for it? Or do you just want to carry on the conversation normally and then reassess your plan. And usually they're a one-time thing, aren't they? You go for it, and if it fails, it fails. And that option is locked out from that point on, which, again, is something I really like because I always push it too far as a rule, and I end up in more fights than I probably should because I I try and go for the easy life, and then it fails miserably, and I end up fighting off like 10 orcs outside one of their structures or something like that. Yeah, it was almost like it brought D&D tabletop mechanics into a video game rpg because you do sort of get a roll of a dice don't you it's not like 20 percent. oh it, it is definitively 20 percent, so that you're not going to pass it regardless it does sort of roll a dice for you yeah so even if it says 20 percent, there is still the chance that you will pass that it's not just a random number that it decides oh no you're not going to pass that whereas it, it literally rolls a figurative dice and goes, yep, you passed that. That was lucky. Does it give like an on-screen representation of it? I can't remember now. No. No, it's all done in the background, isn't it? It just tells you whether you've passed or failed, and then the conversation either carries on, or they challenge you on what you've just said. I think if you've got low percentage, 
Or I think if you pass it, it sort of ups your skill in that area as well. It adds on to your skill points for it. Yeah. So you may as well just try your luck with it and just see if you can. Because, I mean, even 60% skill checks, you can still fail. And you and personally, I failed them quite a bit. I think I've failed really high ones, like ones where you wouldn't even imagine you you could have a chance of failing it, and it does. But there's certain items in game, I think, isn't there, that you can use to up certain skill checks. So if you choose to back out of that conversation, take a potion or, or wear a different piece of armor or equipment that has a boost to it, you can go back in and, and up your chances. So there are certain times when I've been chopping and changing what I'm wearing just to suit who I'm speaking to, because a lot of armor and jewelry and that kind of thing come with, like, boons don't they so plus one to like bartering if you're in a shop and you're trying to negotiate because there's like a weird negotiation thing in the shops isn't there from what i remember like a little is it a slider where you sort of go backwards and forwards and i never really used it because i wasn't very good at it and i was always scared that i was going to ruin that one i actually wanted the thing that i was trying to buy but yeah there was a lot of mechanics that i assume it introduced that might have been used in other games, but they're Oblivion's where I know it from. So like the lockpicking one, for example, uh, where it brings up the barrel of a key and you've got like a little hammer, haven't you? You have to like, and it makes that like tink, tink, tink. And you have to just keep doing it over and over and you have to knock the pin up and then hit X, I think, to lock it above the key. And if you don't do it right, it breaks your lockpick and you don't have an unlimited amount of lockpicks usually. So... Again, risk and reward, and if you're doing it long enough, a guard may come along and sort of grab your collar and take you off to the tower for trying to lockpick someone's house. So there's a lot going for it in there that I'd not seen in other games before, and and I really enjoyed about it. And apart from the Oblivion Gates, and probably one of the... Th- just the fact that you can get so lost in it as well. Um, there's always the option to fast travel, but... You can just wander off, can't you? And and then you're like, oh, I have no idea where I am now. And a lot of the dungeons had a lot of snaking routes that led to absolutely nothing. And you'd fight your way through them and then realise you've gone the wrong way and you have to go all the way back, which is part and parcel of it. But it is a bit annoying, especially when you're low on health and you've just fought your way through like 20 dragers, is it? And then there's nothing worth it at the end of the tunnel and you have to fight your way back out again. But there's, there's also creepy missions in it not so much as skyrim i think skyrim up to that a bit but there are a few strange missions aren't there like related to paranormal activity and that kind of thing that they're not scary but they're a bit creepy when you're in that in the moment and stuff like that starts happening yeah they're usually usually in relation to the dark brotherhood so it's like a clandestine operation that what operates behind the curtain really of of Tamriel and you just sort of there if you want someone murdered or bumped off or to go missing or to take an extended holiday somewhere you go to the Dark Brotherhood and you ask them for a favour and I think there's a mission in it where you meet the 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 mother in inverted commas of the Dark Brotherhood and she is essentially a corpse in a casket. Yeah that does ring a bell. And you face to you lock yourself in a sort of like an iron maiden with her to hide from someone, and there's this corpse pressed up against your face, and you can hear her whispering 
to you, talking to you uh, like she does to the rest of the Brotherhood. And all this time you're thinking, oh, yeah, of course, the, the corpse lady's been talking to you, has she? Um, and then you're locked in there <laughs> and all you can hear is this whispering noise as she tries to get you to do something. It's, it's quite unnerving, but yeah. Is that Oblivion? I, I was, that was one I was going to mention, but I thought that was Skyrim, but I'm, I'm probably wrong because I do I mix them up all the time. I think you might be right. There is a Dark Brotherhood in Skyrim, but I, I was pretty convinced that that was Oblivion. I specifically remember the bit where you're in the like the box with her because mine glitched out and because you you end up being pushed over a ledge or something, don't you? And the whole box goes crashing down a like a ramp into a wall. And it's meant to throw you out at the bottom and the game carries on. And mine didn't. Mine just hit the wall at the bottom and I was just still in the box. And I was like, "What is this part of it? Is this how it's meant to be? And I sat there for about 10 minutes and nothing happened. And I ended up Googling it on my phone and it was like, oh, this is a known glitch. Eventually it will kick back in and you'll be able to carry on. And I just left the pad and I think I started watching something on my phone and it must have been a good 25 minutes and I was at the point where I was like, should I just turn it off? But I'd not saved for ages. And I'm like, I don't want to lose all this progress. Then all of a sudden it just went bang and like shot out of the thing and then it just carried on. And I was like, again, how does this happen? And <laughs> and like that would have been a frustrating one because I would have had to have done loads again if it hadn't have triggered. But I was like, I'm just going to have faith. Somebody said that it will happen eventually. And then sure enough, yeah, it launched me across the room and I could carry on again. But yeah, they're they're usually the creepier ones. The only one I could that really comes to mind is Skyrim, which we're trying to avoid talking about because it is also in the list and we're going to cover it. But I'll just mention this mission really briefly. It's the one you, if you've played it, you'll probably remember it. Somebody sends you to this house that's allegedly cursed, and you go in and all the doors lock and like pots and pans start flying around and there's this voice talking to you. Then you go down and there's like a shrine or something to a like devil in the basement isn't there and i can't exactly remember all the facts but that one genuinely freaked me out when i was playing skyrim because it's so out of left field you just don't expect it and you go into this house and you can't get away from it and this booming voice is coming like through the tv abusing you isn't it telling you to get out but you physically can't and there's pots and pans flying around and that one genuinely did take me by surprise and fill me with a bit of anxiety when i was playing through that one uh but yeah there's Bits like that in Oblivion, I just can't off the top of my head think of them, but we've talked a lot about Oblivion now. We've not got much time for Fallout, so shall we move swiftly on, give it a score? I'm I'm really on the fence with the score on this one, because I do love this game, but I don't know how high up it deserves to be. Yeah, I'm the same, because it it did a lot for RPGs and particularly first-person RPGs. Um, but I wouldn't say it was groundbreaking in any of it. And it is, like you say, it was a stunning game. It was massive. And the DLC just made it bigger. But yeah, I wouldn't be... I'm not entirely sure or comfortable to just go, yeah, it's this score. Let's have a look at what we've already got. So... Would you put it above Mass Effect 2? No. See, I was leaning towards yes just because of the scale of it. Mm, That's fair. Mass Effect 2 is a huge game, and I'd say you could fit three or four Mass Effect 2s into Oblivion. Yes, that's fair. It's just that there's that much to do. 
And then you've got Super Metroid, which for me, because it doesn't hold as much of a place in my heart, I'd I'd personally put it above, but I think you're probably going to say you'd rather put it below. No, I'd probably put it above Super Metroid, to be honest with you, because I, I played Oblivion a lot because of the size of the game. Hmm. Whereas Metroid, I think I've finished twice. So Super Metroid 74, this is, this is where things are going to get nasty. The next one is Shadow of the Colossus. Would you put it above that? I mean, you know I would, but would you put <laughs> yeah. it above Shadow of the Colossus? I personally wouldn't. I get more of a kick out of Shadow of the Colossus. In that case, then, we've got Mass Effect on 73, Super Metroid on 74, Shadow of the Colossus on 76. Would it make sense to put it at 75? Sticking yeah, in between those it. two. Yeah? Yeah. We'll go 75. Brilliant. So, with that out of the way, let's get on to Fallout 3, which is... I forgot what number it is now, because we did have number it on 29. the screen. And then we're 29. We had a recording glitch, and it's disappeared. 29. So, obviously, Retro Gamer rate it much higher than Oblivion. Do you? Mm, again, it, it it's a very glitchy Bethesda RPG, and... Like we said last week about you're very familiar with the first hour of it. I think the first three or four times I tried to get into Fallout, I ended up revisiting the first hour of it because I just I got up to where you find the atom bomb in the middle of that city that's unexploded and they task Megaton, that's the one. And they task you with disarming it. And I got to there and I turned it off and I never went back to it four times see i've played it a lot and i did get part i only ever played it once but i played it a lot because i was unemployed i had nothing better to do so i just sat down i got a really cheap copy of it i wasn't in on the craze when it first came out it was somebody i got sent on a bloody course to learn how to write a cv this is the level of unemployed i was i knew how to write a cv i'd just like to point out it wasn't a course for me it was a course that the job center made me go on because they must have had a quota to fill. So I had to go on this course where they essentially taught you how to write a CV and then sent you off to look for a job for two weeks. And most of the people on the course I didn't care to interact with is the kindest way I can put it. But there was one lad on the course who I got on really well with and we ended up being, to this day, still really good friends. And he was talking about Fallout 3 quite a lot and telling me how good it was. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll pick it up. And I noticed that Game had the special edition lunchbox tin with the bobblehead and the game and everything in it for like a tenner. And I was like, oh, it's only a tenner and I get a cool bobblehead. I'll go for it. And yeah, when I got it, finished this course that I didn't particularly need to be on and got that. And then, yeah, after I'd done my arbitrary applying for jobs for the week that I was meant to do, I sat and played that quite a lot. And I did get really, really, really far into it. Again, didn't finish it because I'd heard, one, the ending was terrible, and two, that it it kills the game. It's not open-ended after you do the last mission. So I was like, I'm not going to do that then. So I got up to the point of that was the next mission I had to do in the storyline and then just went side-questing it and exploring as much as I could. And I got, because it was a special edition, I got the DLC and everything as well. So I ended up playing it, I think I'd logged about 50 hours on it. Uh, when I eventually just sort of stopped and and trailed off and started playing something else, but yeah, I really enjoyed it, and it is a glitchy mess. There's loads of bits in it where it's 
I mean, there's there's a DLC for it where you go in like a simulator that's World War Two, I think it is, in in sort of Russia, I think it's set. And there's a bit on that where there's a load of tanks firing shells that, that aren't near you, they can't hit you, but they're like in the distance. And it drops the frame rate to like one frame a second. I'm not even exaggerating. You, you like you walk forward and it's like you've teleported. And that was the worst bit of it for me because you're still in combat. So you still have to be like ready to fight people, but you just can't see what's happening. And I ended up just pressing forward and hoping that I didn't die before I got to wherever I was meant to go. So yeah, it's full of glitches, but it's for me, it holds a bit of a special place in my heart because I spent so long on it and I got so into it and and really enjoyed it and things like the vat system i really enjoyed because it gives you a bit more time to think in combat and you don't have to be particularly good at first person shooters which i am not so when you've got a vat system you can essentially pause the game and figure out what you want to shoot at next and where you want to shoot it and that was a massive help for me yeah, I mean, it's out of the Fallout games, it's the first one to sort of move away from that weird isometric. And in the in one and two, you got like turn points, so you had points that you could use on sort of your in in inverted commas again turn, and you use them up by moving, checking your weapon, reloading, firing. So it was almost like a little mini game of chess combined with sort of enemy unknown combat mechanics and stuff like that and then to take it from that to this it's such a massive leap for the uh, series i mean we've we've done quite well with not spoiling much of uh, games from the last two episodes so i say this with no shame or compunction whatsoever the ending is terrible it's on a mass effect 3 level of God, this is awful, to the point where, like Mass Effect 3, they literally had to release DLC to fix the ending because it really people off and to give you something to do in the world afterwards because, like you say, it just locked your game. It was like, oh, in the original ending, you died. So no more game for you. Honestly, I say it with no shame because... Because <laughs> Bethesda did this, they brought it on themselves. But yeah, you die at the end of the original game, and everyone just sort of went, "Oh, um, can I carry on playing?" And the game sort of went, "No, you're dead. <laughs> um, you can't carry on playing." I'm afraid, which then caused people to kick off, and so they ended up doing this lukewarm sort of redaction of the ending, so that they could let you carry on, and so that they could release more DLC. I do wonder if that's why they start New Vegas with you being dead and then bringing you back to life. It's almost like a bit of an in-joke that they've done on themselves because they're not not—they're partial to a bit of fourth wall breaking and, and in-jokes, aren't they? Especially in the first two games. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was a bit of a, like, oh, everyone was mad at us for this, so this is how we're going to start the next game. Particularly when you consider that Fallout New Vegas wasn't made by the same team as Fallout <laughs> yeah. 3. So it's probably because it's the same team that made The Outer Worlds. Yeah, which makes sense because it is essentially the same game. Is it Obsidian? Maybe. Yeah, Obsidian. that rings a bell. Yeah. So they did New Vegas and everyone loved New Vegas. And then it's, it's sort of like Obsidian went, oh, would you like to show us to show you how to do it? And then obviously <laughs> Bethesda then went on to make Fallout 4. And then Obsidian came back and went, 
come on, let Daddy take over again, and they made the Outer Worlds, and it was for not, it was really well received, and it sold better than Fallout Four, and it's just like, just leave it to Obsidian to make the game for God's sake. Fallout Four was we we can talk about Fallout Four because it's not in the list for me. Fallout Four is such a strange one because there's bits of it that I absolutely love, and I could play it for hours and then there's bits of it that really put me off playing it and I think are probably the reason I stopped. One of the things I hate about it and I know some people really enjoyed this bit is the the town building where you can build your own structures because it's really clunky and it doesn't work very well and like you try and put up a decent structure and the parts don't fit together and you'll spend hours trying to make it look nice and then it just looks a mess and like the best thing I managed to knock up on it, I'm not and by any means good at DIY and I could probably knock something up in the garden now that looked better than what I came up with in that game and I'd spent hours on it and it was just annoying because you do all that and then it doesn't really get you anything there's actually no point to it but the game makes you think that you need to do it because you need a bed and things like that and then you'll just randomly be out doing your own thing and then you'll get a call saying oh one of your settlements is under attack and then you have to bomb all the way across the map to try and protect it again to no avail other than people get annoyed if you don't and it was all that kind of thing that that stopped me playing it as much and the storyline wasn't terrible but it wasn't enough to really hook me in either but there are places in it like the little lamplight that we talked about before we started recording where it's a town inhabited completely by kids but they're all sort of a bit grown up and they act a bit grown up even though they're kids i really enjoyed that concept and it's all underground and there's loads to explore and then there's certain missions that are just bizarre. So there's like one mission where there's a house full of cannibals and you, you go in there to, to investigate that and you find a pretty gruesome site and stuff like that that's just little side quests I really enjoy because you can tell they've had fun writing it and putting it in there. But yeah, for me, 4 was just a bit of a... Not a letdown because I did still play it loads and I did really enjoy it. And I've heard the DLC is really good. I didn't get the DLC with mine and I've never actually played it. But somebody said that the new Coca-Cola world... One of my friends said was that was brilliant. So I might pick it up again. But again, it's just the time. You need so much time to invest in it to get the most out of it that I just don't have anymore. But yeah, it's strange. We said this before the call, uh, before the, the recording started as well. In the generation we've looked at today, I would probably say that Fallout 3 was the better game. It was definitely, I think, received better in in sort of the mainstream. Whereas you look at the next generation and Skyrim has just absolutely eclipsed Fallout 4, despite coming out first, it's it's the one they've put all the effort in. They've remastered it a million times. They've done all the extra stuff for it. They're still churning it out to this day because they're so proud of it. And Fallout 4 just gets no attention, no love whatsoever. They moved on to Fallout 76, which was god-awful when it launched, and is just now getting to the point where people are enjoying it and finding it palatable. So I don't know what's in store for the future. You said they're doing a space one. Which I assume is just going to be Fallout in space, is it? It looks like it's sort of a No Man's Sky. So I think there are a thousand planets to explore, and they're fully explorable, according to Bethesda, but they're still doing it on the engine that they're currently using, which you couldn't run Skyrim. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so how are you making a thousand fully explorable planets, Bethesda? Hmm? I reckon at, at least 500 of those planets are going to have nothing to do on them. That would be my yeah. sus- suspicion about it. Maybe one little side quest that you can undertake that's done within five minutes. 
But yeah, to go back to the thing with Fallout 4, it's like they've given you this massive, expansive map to explore, but they're going to insist that you sit in the top left corner and and play happy families with a load of people that can't stand you. And you, you I think in the game you're called The Wanderer. Yeah. And it's like, by a load of NPCs, and it's like, well, you ain't wandering anywhere because you're sat here building stuff for people. So bizarre choice. And then you take the polar opposite side of things where you look at the the vaults themselves and the vaults are twisted. The Some of the choices for there, you do just think, oh, Bethesda, you, you definitely picked a good one with this one. So obviously... The whole Fallout series is based around um, an atomic war that has wiped out the majority of the surface of the planet. Um, And the government has created these vaults, these little places for pockets of humanity to lock themselves away prior to the atom bombs dropping and survive. However, none of them were made with any sort of niceties in mind. They're all lab tests and hideous and awful and they they do awful things to the people inside them i think there's one and i can't remember whether it's three or four where everyone is called gary that's four yeah (laughs) and they're all insane (laughs) and all you can hear in the background is people going gary and it's pitch black, and it's like something from Outlast. It's horrible. Yeah, I remember that one. There's also one where people have been turned into plants, from what I remember, yep. or they're like they they're crossed with plants, or and so everywhere's covered in vegetation, isn't it? And they blend in with the vegetation because they're part plant. So you'll just be walking past, and like a half human, half plant person will dive out and try and attack you, and. The vaults are claustrophobic as it is because they're all small tunnels and stairways. And yeah, some of those vaults are, are horrible to explore, especially when you're on, on your own at home at night in the dark and, and things are just jumping out of you or like you hear whispering in the distance, like you've just said, or you know something's coming, but you can't prepare for it because you don't know what it is. And then there's certain areas on the map that are just full of super mutants, which take an absolute age to kill. So you can try and stealth around them, but it's not going to last for long, is it? And yeah, there's so much good stuff to say about Fallout 4 that it just got ruined by a few little bits for me, that they they introduced a couple of new mechanics that weren't needed and just made it a chore to play. If you could turn those bits off, I'd be much more interested in going back and playing it again. And I suppose you can just ignore them, but you can't stop them popping up, can you? So it just keeps, oh, this settlement is under attack, this is... And it just gets in the way a lot of the time. But back to Fallout 3. Again, it's a difficult one to score because it's massive. I had a lot of fun with it. It sounds like you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. But it is also quite broken. So you have to take that into account. Like Probably more broken than Oblivion, I'd say, in terms of the way the bugs affect the game. Some of them in Fallout 3 aren't just <laughs> somebody's been shot off into space or somebody's merged through a wall there are like game breaking bugs in fallout 3 aren't there so that's where you've got to put it into account so i mean we could take the easy route and just give it a 75 as well and stick them in at the same spot but i would be more tempted to give it 
a 73 and put it in the same bracket as Mass Effect 2 because where one is essentially really polished and a great experience that doesn't take very long, the other one is unpolished but you could play it for days. So the sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, I mean I liked uh, in Fallout I liked the almost Paragon Renegade choices you could make so every sort of decision you made had an overall impact on the world you could be a complete git and blow up the atom bomb in the first town that you come to and just decimate the village or you could actually try and help them and you'd got get sort of like paragon and renegade or karma points one way or the other um it's got liam neeson in it who again does the patrick stewart in oblivion of turning up for the first five minutes and then pissing off for the rest of the game yeah, he's got a couple of audio clips, hasn't he? Scattered through it, and that's about it. There's a few tapes, yeah. and that's about it. Um, Ron Perlman's in it as well, if that sways you one way or the other. Hey, but Sean Bean was in Oblivion. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? I don't think he dies either, which is shocking. Uh, one of the characters he voices must do. He won't have got him to do just one. Surely they'd have... <laughs> he's got that typical like voice for that game that they would have got him recording a few. They must have had one in there that dies, surely. I would assume so. I don't think it's a Sean Bean contract. <laughs> Without it being written in. Yeah. Um, yeah, where do we pitch this? Do you want to go one below Mass Effect? Because I know you, you probably favour Mass Effect quite a bit more. Yeah, I think I think the ending probably does it a bit of a disservice, really. And like you say, there are... And, and the bugs in this aren't sort of few and far between. Like they are in Oblivion, you do sort with Oblivion. It is like the odd character line, which you just part and parcel. It's a Bethesda game. Whereas this, you can literally get to a certain point in a mission, and the character that's supposed to be there, there'll be a little speech box floating in midair that you're supposed to talk to them, but there's no one to actually talk to. So it just locks you out of that entire side quest, and it's just like, oh come on! And they don't even fix them with patches either. So they can't patch the character back in. There's multiple times in Fallout 3 where I've had to reload previous saves through no fault of my own. And I think that's the difference. That I never would have thought I would put Oblivion higher than Fallout. But now we've discussed it, it, yeah, it's got its problems that, that Oblivion doesn't seem to have as much of. They're still there, but they're not as intrusive as they are in Fallout 3. They can really completely break your game. And if you've not saved it for a long time you're going to be backtracking. So I can accept that. So I think if we put it, Pokemon Gold got 71, Mass Effect got 73. So shall we stick it in a 72? Yeah, go with 72. There we go. Which again, I would never have guessed. I would give it that low. I would have expected to put it much higher. But the more I've just talked about it, the more, yeah, it was... Don't get me wrong, I love that game. And I love the franchise as a whole. I've got the board games. I've got posters, figures. I've got like practically a full bobblehead collection. I've got the special cards, like the little, you know, the cards that you get to pick your stats at the beginning. I've got them as like metal ingots, which cost a bloody fortune, but they look really cool. So yeah, I've got quite a lot of merchandise from Fallout because it is one of my favourite franchises. But Fallout 3 itself, as much as I love it, is objectively full of bugs and probably doesn't deserve much higher than where we've put it. So I'm happy to go with that. There we go. And then what are we going to do for next week? This is the big question. Are we going to leave people in suspense again? Or are we going to have a... Is there anything in particular you've got your eye on? And don't say Shenmue. 
I was going to say one day I'm I'm going to say Shenmue <laughs> and you're going to go yeah go on then we'll do Shenmue, but I think uh, I think that day's quite a way off yet. Um, I mean we could do something like Portal and Portal Two. Yeah, yeah, happy with that. I've I've played Portal One and it gave me incredible motion sickness and I'd stop playing it. So you might have to take the lead on this one a little bit. <laughs> But yeah, I'm happy to do that because it's it's one of those games that I know has a lot of content that you don't expect it to have. A lot of people just assume it's a glorified tech demo of what they can do with the portal physics. And actually, there's a lot of storyline and, and lore to it that I'm not overly familiar with. So yeah, I'm happy for you to explain Portal and Portal 2 to me for an hour next week. Okay. So we'll go with that. There you go. Heard it here first. That closes us out for this week, unless you've got anything else you want to bring up. No, I think that's it, really. I mean, I've I've not really played much recently, other than, you know, watching replays of uh, <laughs> glitchy Bethesda titles <laughs> and uh, keeping up to date with uh, GDC and stuff like that. I have been playing something different as a little teaser for you. If... Our recording software allows it. We might have a Patreon timed exclusive special for you coming soon. I've been playing, well, I've been to a retro, well, I don't know what the term for it, I think it's called the Retro Hub, which is basically a place full of retro arcade machines and you pay one upfront fee and you can play as many of it as you want until they kick you out. So I've been there, which I wouldn't mind talking about, and also I picked up Dead Island 2. Uh, which is a game that's, I think it's fair to say, has been in development hell for, what, about seven or eight years now, probably a bit more. Uh, so I wouldn't mind giving my thoughts or first impressions on that. So uh, if you want to listen to that soon, I'd suggest going across to Patreon and subscribing. We are going to introduce a couple more tiers on there as well, so keep an eye out for them because they might be more towards what you're looking for. But it will, we're not gouging people, so... It will eventually appear on on normal services, but it will be on Patreon first if anyone has any interest in that. So with that said, I think that finishes off for this episode. Just like to say thanks for listening to everyone who's joined us so far and hopefully you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to find us on Facebook or Instagram and add us and drop us a message on there. Let us know what you think, what you want us to look at once we've got through the list or in between episodes. And yeah, I will say that's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.